Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Charlie Markbrighter, an amateur Gossip Girl scholar, an editor at The New Inquiry, the co-host of Art is Easy, and a PhD student at the CUNY Graduate Center. And now, here's our first letter. This next one is all you. Subject, unsure about therapist. Dear Prudence, Earlier this year, I had a bit of a crisis and decided to find a therapist. My first choice wasn't very communicative about setting up an appointment, so I decided to just go with the next one I found who met my criteria. Basically, she's a woman. Sarah, in quotes, and I have had four sessions so far, and she's been an immense help, but I'm worried about two things. She's a black woman, I'm white, and my family's racism sometimes comes up during our sessions. I've talked about feeling... Disappointed I don't live near my family, but not wanting to raise my young child around people who boycott TV shows for featuring interracial romantic relationships. I know it's Sarah's job to handle rough topics, but she's still a person. I'm worried that I'm spreading around secondhand aggressions to her during sessions, which doesn't feel right. I also know that our region has a large black population and comparatively few black therapists. I'm concerned I may be taking a spot that could be better utilized by someone else. That said, I really like my therapist. She's the first healthcare professional who's taken my concerns about a possible autism diagnosis seriously and is willing to help assess me. I'm worried about having to start the process all over again, worried that another therapist won't be as good, but we're also worried that by seeing her, I might be causing harm. What should I do? Yeah, kind of the theme today is is um, maybe like white people thinking about race, maybe for the first time in, in a new way, and then worrying about their own individual kind of fledgling or hypothetical relationship with a, a black person as one that is potentially taking away resources from other people. Does that make sense to you, Charlie, as a worldview? Is that something that you, you you think you can understand or share? Is that something that you want to encourage people to redirect? What What are your thoughts on this as a theme? Yeah, I mean, also I would say that a common theme throughout this is like, I don't know, it does seem to be like reflective of um, <laughs> white supremacy that the white people both like aren't just being honest and communicating and also are assuming that like the the black person can't doesn't have consent um in the situation yeah my sense of this is that as as well intended as it may be it speaks to i think the fact that this is such a new thought for the letter writer that it's sort of like it, it, it's 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 such a strange response to have it feels a little bit like oh my gosh should i um should i move and she's like, wait, what? Did someone ask you to do that? Like, that is such a big response. It suggests that you don't have any sense of scale here. Um, like, your therapist has never said to you anything like, I'm limiting my white patients right now, or I'm not available to discuss these things with you, or 
anything. And and so the idea of like, well, should I just go home feels a little um again, it's clear that your intentions here are good, but the 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 fact that you're contemplating something that it doesn't sound like anyone has ever suggested to you or said to you suggests to me that maybe more thinking is called for here, more contextualization to not flinch away from things that bring up questions that that might have been worth considering sooner. Um, you know, better late than never. And then when it's a little uncomfortable or complicated or tricky, I think you will often experience a desire of like, well, should I just leave? Should I just go? This is a lot. This is new. Thinking about race feels weird. I don't like this. Should I just leave? Should I find a kind of uh, progressive reason to go be around white people again? Yeah, that's a really good point, Danny. It's like, are you actually operating on your like white feelings and discomfort um, and under the guise of being like a good white person kind of? Right. And that that hope of like, I can live my life in such a way that I will never contribute to racism. You know, from this moment on, I'm done contributing to racism. I'll never do it again. And that's not possible, which is not to encourage the letter writer to take a really blase attitude towards, well, it's just going to happen anyways. Who cares? No big deal. But acting as if you've suddenly realized that you are a bull in a china shop and that you're about to knock over a ton of priceless porcelain vases is... um. It's, it's an overreaction that does not actually help other people. So all of which is to say, you know, when it comes to dealing with your own discomfort or fear about your therapist's reaction to your stories about your racist family, you have a couple of options here. One of them, I think, is to accept, yes, it is likely that her sessions with you, where her white client shares occasional stories of racism with her own family and where your therapist receives money for work being done, that's not where she goes to get restored. That's not where she goes to get healed. That's her doing her job. So one of the things that you can let go of there, I think, is that you can be such a well-intended white client that she can actually receive some sort of like healing through her work with you, which is, I think, a little bit of the the fantasy that I read is underlying that. Does that seem like a step too far? Do you think I'm taking it too far? No, I, I agree. Once again, I agree with you, Danny. Sorry. We'll fight later, I promise. No, I don't want to fight with you, Danny. I just want you to adopt me. You never want to fight. This is one of the things that we often have great conversations about. We And we don't fight about it. <laughs> we don't. We don't because you won't let me. Um, we can fight about it after if you want. I look forward to it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, certainly you can say to your therapist, especially when you're only four sessions in, you know, I, I've realized that my family's racism is coming up more than I had intended it to. Um, if there's ever a limit that you want to set here or something that you want to talk about the way that we talk about it, let me know I'm available for that conversation. I just want to name it. Um, that's fine. You can do that with a therapist. You can always do that with a therapist and then trust she has been a black therapist as long as she has been a therapist. So that doesn't mean she'll never change her mind about something or decide she wants to try something new, but it does mean that she's given this thought. You are not the first white client that she's had. You are not the first person who has discussed their family's racism with her. So trust her and take her at her word when you raise this issue and just say, like, obviously, if there's ever a, a limit that you need to set or a conversation, we need to have them available. Then trust that she will look out for herself and that she has a therapist of her own and resources of her own and a community of her own um, to turn to that's not you. If you're feeling a lot of white guilt right now and you're not sure where to put that energy. Um, there are so many mutual aid projects going on right now that you can get involved in. I think like probably just like literally typing 
mutual aid, your neighborhood, your state. And if you wanted to specifically be like mutual aid, fighting white supremacy, uh, anti-racism, whatever, like there are a lot of ways that you can like contribute financially uh, in terms of your time. And I feel like that could be a really cool place to put some of your energy. Yeah, I would say if, especially in your region, you are worried about various communities of color, and it sounds like specifically black communities who may be underserved by therapists, um, look for support funds, look for people whose therapy you would like to underwrite, look for ways to donate to drop-in groups or peer support groups. Um, seek those places out. I, I'm fairly certain that some such organization that addresses like mental health or general well-being uh, in your area exists. And if you would like to find a way to help them out, do it. Um, but I don't think any of them are putting out a call that says, white people in therapy, please, if your therapist is a person of color, stop seeing them right away. Um, so that we can free up more spots. That's not something that's being asked of you. So I think whenever when you kind of for the first time or or in a new way start to engage with certain types of anti-racism work or or even simply coming into closer contact, more intimate contact with a black person than you have previously and your first thought is like, maybe there's a progressive reason I just shouldn't be here and you've never heard a person of color make that suggestion before, one thing that that might be, not that it has to be, but that it might be is you saying, I feel really uncomfortable. I don't like feeling uncomfortable. I'm used to a certain level of white comfort that I really miss and enjoy. And I'd like to go back to it. Um, but I'm embarrassed to admit that because that's more racism and I don't want to be racist. Um, and, and that's how you can end up, I think, in a situation like this one where you've seen a therapist four times, you like her, things are going well, and you've really thought about for the first time, oh, wow, my family's racism actually sounds really bad uh, when it's not in an all-white context. And we sort of all nod our heads at each other and say, like, well, what are you going to do? All our grandparents are like that. Like, I think what you're experiencing is the discomfort that comes from realizing, like, oh, not everyone's family is like this. Or, or not everyone whose family is like this just kind of quietly moves away and doesn't say too much about it. And I get the discomfort, but I don't think it's a sign that you're doing something horribly wrong by seeing and paying your black therapist. Agree. That's it. That's all I got. So last one for the day. Um, is I, 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 I'm curious to hear what, hear what you have to say because... I, I have a particular take on it, but I've been very chatty today. So I'm going to just read this letter and then let you take it away. I've really been wanting to read one of these in an Australian accent. Mm. Um, but I, is that okay? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm no longer reading this one. You're reading this one. Please read it in an Australian accent. Oh, okay. Thank, thank you so much. This is a, a dream come true for me. Charlie, thank you. Subject, stylist going off the rails. Uh, this is fully indebted to um, Macy Rodman's Australian accent in InfoWars, deep cut. Uh, Great. Dear, dear Prudence, I've been seeing the same th stylist for almost seven years, roughly every three weeks. She's always been a bit holistic and quirky, but the pandemic seems to have turned her on to a lot more conspiracy theories. 
5G, sex trafficking conspiracies, flat earth videos, you name it, all of which she brings up when I see her. It's really upsetting and makes me uncomfortable. I try to change the subject, but it's only getting worse. I'm dreading my appointments, but I don't want to walk away from someone in crisis. What is my moral obligation to try to help her? Should I probe about the source of these newfound interests, recommend therapy, or, or just pay her for my upcoming appointments and never see her again? I know this may sound like an elevated level of concern about a relationship with a hairstylist, but I've seen her about twice a month for seven years. This change is quite distressing, and I don't want this stuff to ruin her life. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Yes, that is it. Thank you so much. Thank you. I don't I don't really know where that came from, but I loved it and it, it just thrilled me. So without going back to that Australian accent, because I, I, I think I agree that it does need to stay with the, the letter. No, um, no, it, it, it's okay. It's, it's done. I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. How seriously do you think this letter writer should take it? <laughs> How big a deal? What do you think? I, I think I was so invested in the accent that I didn't absorb as much of the content. So I'm going to let you start this one off and then I'm going to ping off of your beautiful answer. Yeah. Certainly one downside of reading the letters in a funny voice is that, as you say. Um, but I, I'm still I'm still glad that you got what you needed out of that. Um, I'm a little bit like it's sort of a grand tradition for for hairstylists and tattoo artists to have really out there opinions um, and, and wacky theories. And certainly there is a limit to how much fun uh, a person might want to have with that. And certainly if there was a person in my life who, who I had lost to 5G sex trafficking conspiracies, there'd absolutely be ways in which I would feel very sad about it. Um, and I just also would say like, yeah, you've seen this person a lot you've also, it doesn't sound like developed much of a deep and intimate relationship so much as like once a month for seven years, they cut your hair and then they, she tells you like wacky conspiracy theories she believes in and they used to be a little milder and now they're a little more intense. You're like, you're like, Hey, could I um get frosted tips? And she's like, Oh my God. Yeah. No problem. Also, did you know the earth is flat? I just love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to me, you have a number of options. You could absolutely just keep seeing this person and then just being like, yeah, once a month I get to hear about, um, you know, the theory that there are no real trees anymore and that all the trees died off when the dinosaurs were exploded. And uh, what we think of as trees are just uh, seedlings and what we think of as mountains are old tree stumps, which I'm pretty sure is a conspiracy theory that some flat earthers are into is that there's no real trees anymore. I actually have not been able to stop thinking recently about how big dinosaurs are. Like, mm -hmm. sometimes I'll just be, like, walking around and be like, if a dinosaur were here, how big would it be in the scale of the environment? I just I mean, clearly really... sometimes you're able to think about other things, like Australian accents. <laughs> Those, um, but, yeah, I, I also, it doesn't seem like you are this person's only client. So it doesn't seem like if you decide to stop seeing her that she's going to, like, go bust or something, um, even if you are seeing her every three weeks. Yeah, I, I mean, just like, t to me, I just feel like, do whatever you want. Like, <laughs> basically, for seven years, this woman has monologued at you, and you've never said anything. And you're now realizing that that might not be what you want. And so the question is sort of like, what am I allowed to do? And it's like, anything, literally anything, you're allowed to either go see her and then say, I can't handle another monologue. Let's not talk about this. 
and then just deal with it. Or you can go and say, like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You sound totally unhinged. This is ridiculous. And then fight with your hairstylist, which is fine and will not kill you. Um, I promise you anyone who is like uh, fortified emotionally enough to go around telling people at work about 5G conspiracies, like she can handle a little robust disagreement. She's not going to fall over. I I think this is one of the problems with like the very, very, very conflict averse type of which I have myself been one at, at various points in my life. It's just this idea that everyone else hates conflict as much as I do. And the idea of it freaks them out as much as it does me. And they will do anything to avoid a fight just like I will. And it's actually like, no, that's you. That is your thing. You are so afraid with dis- of disagreeing with somebody that you've gone seven years without saying anything when your hairstylist says really weird stuff. You You could have five years ago said something. You could have said... I don't want to talk right now. I'm going to read something on my phone. You could have said, I'm going to close my eyes. You could have said, this sounds stupid. You know, like at, at three years, I think you've earned the right to say this sounds stupid to someone. Yeah. Um, or you, you could just be like 5G. I only want to hear about 4G or even 3G, but I don't go up to 5G and then listen to podcast. Yeah. So you don't have to do any of that. You can also just say like, I found somebody else. Sorry. Um, but yeah, just... It is an elevated level of concern, not because it's weird to care about your relationship with your hairstylist. Lots of people care about it. Um, But because for seven years, you have been operating under the assumption that not disagreeing with someone means that you have a relationship. And it's kind of true. It's kind of not. Um, and, And what you are realizing now is the limits of that relationship. And so the question is like, do I actually have the ability to say, that sounds ridiculous and survive like the possibility of a weird look or a brief spat with my hairstylist. And you do, you absolutely do. If you would like to avoid that and just stop seeing her, you are allowed to do that too. People are allowed to change their hairstylists, even if they don't, you know, fall subject to wild conspiracy theories. Um, You do not owe anyone, uh, you know, single-handed patronage for the rest of your life just because they styled your hair a lot. I was going to one person for about a year. And then um, when COVID started, I kind of like fell off just because uh, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get there, blah, blah, blah. Am I even allowed to get haircuts? And I haven't been in touch with her since. So I've, I, and it's not like she's like called me and been like, Charlie, I miss you so much. Where'd you go? Um, And I feel like probably a lot of people are changing their hairstylist right now. So I feel like if you did just drop off, you would kind of have COVID as an excuse. I'm sure a lot of people are also changing their hairstylists right now. Yeah, and I think perhaps the reason that I've had a slightly flippant approach to this one is not because I don't think that this can actually be genuinely like harmful. It can be. Um, but, you know, you say you don't want to walk away from someone in crisis. You do not have a relationship with this person. You two have never had a meaningful conversation. Based on what you have told me, this person just tells you whatever they want to talk about every three weeks, and you say, mm-hmm, okay, that's not a relationship. This is not somebody who you have previously fought with or given advice to or had a meaningful back and forth with. Like Your ability to actually change this person's mind is, I would say, quite limited. Um, so that I think that's part of why I've, I've been a little bit flippant, which is just like, accept the fact that you do not actually have a serious role in this person's life and then figure out, like, do I want to see a different hairstylist or not? It's really that simple. 
Also, like, you don't know if she's in crisis just because she believes in conspiracy theory videos. Maybe she's like, yeah, mm-hmm. I think that alien videos are a- alien videos. Yeah, I think that uh, 5G is real. And my life is so rich with meaning and everything is so stable and I'm so happy. Yeah. Believing something outrageous or unlikely or far-fetched or a conspiracy theory is not by itself the sole sign that somebody is in crisis. There are absolutely ways in which this can lead people down towards crisis. And there are certainly ways in which people can both be in crisis and believe in conspiracy theories that may or may not be related. Um, but it, it it just means someone subscribes to an outrageous conspiracy theory. It does not necessarily mean that they are um, in harm's way. And sometimes people know full well that part of the fun of the conspiracy theory is that it freaks out the squares um, and they kind of want that part of it. And they kind of want the part of it that makes everyone worried. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's the you see this with I mean, not that like conspiracy theories and free speech are um, free speech rhetoric are the same thing. But I do think that they both are interested in inspiring the kind of like I'm a brave thought leader. I dare to think what no one else will think and see the truth with my naked eyes. Um, that's, you know, and and people think I'm I'm weird. I'm a weird person. Right. Um, right. And I just, you know, we're, we're about to do the Jughead monologue from that first season of Riverdale. Oh, what? How does it go? Oh, I think he just said something about how he's weird and that he enjoys being weird and has something to do with his hat and. I I only saw it in screen caps on Twitter, so I I probably had no business bringing it up. But yeah, if this to you feels like a moment of crisis, then I think you have to honestly ask yourself, have I been able to have even a mildly difficult conversation with this person before? And if the answer to that is no, what makes me think I'm going to be able to single-handedly help them in crisis now? Like go work on your Go work on your conflict skills for a while. Practice on other people. Practice on mid to moderate level uh, conflict before you try to go dissuade someone of, uh, you know, 5g conspiracies. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel you letter writer. I'm also really scared of conflict. Um, as Danny mentioned before. Mm -hmm. So, um, I, I too dream of a world in which we're all given the time and space to, um, feel our feelings and express them without fear. Yeah. Which is part of why I often, um, push you around a little bit only in the most loving and safe and controlled circumstances obviously charlie yeah danny takes a ping pong paddle and a ping pong ball and he hits me with ping pong balls Um, i'm gonna cut you off right there that's our mini episode of dear prudence for this week our producer is phil circus our theme music was composed by robin hilton as always if you want me to answer your question call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. This is Slate's Editor-in-Chief Jared Holt. I'm here because I want to thank you for everything you've done as a Slate Plus member. Like many media organizations, we've had to traverse some rough patches these past few months. But unlike everyone else, we have you. It's your membership that has made our journalism possible, 
and it's your curiosity and passions that continue to guide our work. Every day, Slate sets out to bring you news analysis that is smart, illuminating, and trustworthy. And that's as true in our audio coverage as it is on our website. Whether it's What Next, Mary Harris sitting down with Dr. Anthony Fauci to discuss the nation's coronavirus response, or Virginia Heffernan hosting Mary Trump for a tell-all on Trumpcast, or Jamel Bowie joining the political gab fest to talk about this year's protests against police violence. Our podcasters want to help you make sense of the biggest news in real time. We also aim to bring you important investigative features that you're not going to read or hear anywhere else, like season four of Slow Burn, which looked at David Duke's rise to power and at what it took to stop him, and which Vulture called a scorching listen. Or the class of RBG, an audio print production held by Amicus host Dahlia Lifwick, who, with staff writer Molly Olmsted, tracked down the nine other women in Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's law school class and told the story of their lives and of an entire generation of American women. As we continue to cover the pandemic, the presidential election, and the most consequential movement for justice and equality in this country since the 1960s, we could not be more grateful to have you on our side. Thanks again for your support.